This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Can machine learning help us better understand how habits are formed? That was the goal of a group of researchers, including our next guest. Katie Milkman is professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School, also author of the recently released book, uh, How to Change. Katie, great to have you back with us. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. And I guess the the, the interesting thing to, to start out with here is the the term habit and habit forming is looked at in a variety of different ways, depending on kind of different sciences that, that are out there. And you note this in the paper right out of the gate. Uh, take us through a little bit of how habit and habit forming is viewed in these areas. Yeah, well, habit formation has been studied really differently by psychologists and economists and neuroscientists. Um, some are trying to look at markers in the brain that predict habitual behaviors. Some have studied it in animals. In fact, we have a lot of great data on habit or um, what looks like habit in animals and animal models. Uh, economists like to study it experimentally, trying to see if they can design conditions that produce habit. And psychologists sometimes collect self-report data on how habitual behaviors have become. But um, to our knowledge, our work is really the first to look at habit formation happening in the wild. So in a naturalistic way, people going about their daily lives and habits taking shape. Uh, and to try to actually apply machine learning to explore well, how do those habits take shape? What are the factors that underlie habit formation? How long does it take? And we do so with data sets from two different settings because we want to see sort of how generalizable are the insights we can, we can draw. One is looking at data on people's habit formation happening naturally when they join a gym. And the other is looking at caregivers and hospitals and how they form habits around hand sanitizing before entering patient rooms. So really different contexts. Why those two areas? Is there something within the component of habit forming that is interesting about those two areas specifically? Well, gyms have been sort of the fruit fly of habit formation research. So an enormous amount of work in this literature focuses on gym attendance as the outcome. And the reason is it's um, something that's quite easy to measure without requiring people to report to you and not lie um, their behavior rate. So when you enter gyms, it's typically tracked. That's how they make money. They don't let people in who aren't members. Um, and yeah. so this is very convenient, uh, unlike something like smoking or diet or nail biting, um, things that you might think of as natural candidates for habit research. Um, the problem with those is somebody has to report to you, oh, yeah, you know, I bit my nail today or I didn't or I ate healthy today or I didn't. And people are often loath to do that truthfully. So gyms are really that's like the workhorse. That's where a lot of habit research mm -hmm. is done. And then we wanted to go beyond that. And we were, you know, lo looking for a data set that would similarly have objective measurement of behavior rather than self-report and realized there was a really interesting data set that we could um, plumb that tracked these hospital hair, uh, caregivers hand sanitizing decisions. And we thought that was really exciting to pair those two and see how different or similar are they. So what were the results that you found out from uh, looking at those two data sets? Well, I think the results are really uh, surprising to many who have described to what's a, a popular lay belief about a magic number of days that it takes to form a habit. So there's this widely 
um, spread rumor that it takes 21 days to form a habit. You may also have heard about 90 days to form a habit. There's popular books that tout these numbers. They, by the way, don't have sound basis and research. Um, but what we find is there is no such magic number and that the number of days it takes to form a habit, first of all, is quite different on average in these two samples, these two settings. So it's much faster um, in general to form a habit around hand sanitizing than gym going. Looks like it takes an order of magnitude sort of you know, weeks on average in that context versus when we're looking at gym attendance, it takes months typically to form a habit. Uh, but there's also huge variation across people. So it's not like this is a tight distribution. We can say, you know, here's a magic number, even in a context, there's really widespread. So um, what that points to is, you know, this is really a false belief in the idea of, of, of magic amount of time. And probably we're better off focusing on things like how complex is the behavior? How often are you repeating? What's the nature of the reward you're receiving um, as the main drivers of the speed, as opposed to, a gravitational pull towards a magic number. How important then is this data in comparison to just thinking about habit formation in general in our culture, do you think? Well, I think in general, when we have data, it, it teaches us what's true as opposed to okay. what, uh, you know, what we'd like to believe or what we think might be true based on observing ourselves. So it, it was really exciting to bring, you know, 52 million observations to this question as opposed to questionnaires or, or people's intuitions who are writing self-help books. Um, and we're really excited that, that we had an opportunity to do that here. We're joined by uh, Katie Milkman, uh, Professor of Operations, Information and Decisions uh, here at the Wharton School. And, and let me go back a second because you have uh, done work in the past around uh, gyms and, and those locations and the importance of that component to having a greater understanding of what is going on in this case around habit forming, but just in general about how important uh, you, you can you can develop and understand kind of uh, moves that people make in those settings, correct? Yeah, absolutely. It, this is a really nice context. As I said, we think of it as like the fruit fly of, of habit research. Um, is being able to study the frequency at which people visit the gym. Do, 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 does it stick once people start going or do they fall off the wagon? Um, it's a really nice setting and it's an important outcome from a policy perspective because actually about 9% of premature deaths are due to um, physical inactivity. It's an incredibly important factor in lifespan that many neglect, but most are trying to habituate once they um, create a membership plan. What do you and your cohorts doing the research take from from this research? Well, I think it, one thing that it shows us is the power of machine learning to explore um, patterns in human behavior in new ways that you know we couldn't do if we were just using sort of standard old-fashioned methods. Um, you know, survey survey data could be applied this way too. It's really exciting to see the objective data and to see that. Um, it can give us this kind of insight. We're fitting individualized models with, with this data and just learning a lot about what are the contextual factors that shape habit formation, how fast does it happen. So one, I'm really excited about machine learning. A second thing that um, we take away that I haven't talked about besides this idea that there's no magic number is actually we also see that uh, something happens with habits called reward devaluation, which mm -hmm. is that um, we had a, a point in time when 
lots of the people who we were studying who'd been going to the gym got started getting offers um, of programming to help help them exercise more regularly and we see that the people who our models call quite habituated who our models say like they've 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 reached a habit um, those people are actually much less sensitive to those kinds of offers and efforts to help them uh, change their behavior than people who are not yet in this predictable habituated mode according to those models so that's also i think really interesting and it's a big takeaway that We've seen this in animal models before, but showing that once a person forms a habit, it's really hard to change um, their direction. We can we can predict with machine learning when they're in that state, and then we know oh, once they've reached that state, they're going to be harder to perturb um, off of their course. So that's also important just for thinking about tailoring and um, and personalizing the kind of offers we provide. If you're a marketer, a healthcare plan, an employer. Um, so I think that's really interesting, too. It, it sounds like that th- this is also a little bit of a pivot moment as well uh, from what machine learning can really give you as you move forward, as, as you just kind of laid out, of all the different potential impacts that are out there from having machine learning kind of going through a lot of this data. I think that's right. It's really exciting. And, um, you know, it, it Uh, When we think about what's the biggest contribution of this paper, I think, you know, for most readers, they'll be excited to learn there's not a magic number and that this personalization of, you know, sending offers to people differentially based on whether a model says they're habituated or not, that adds value. Those are big practical takeaways, but a really big and exciting takeaway for the scientific community and frankly for practitioners as well is the power of machine learning applied in this way to try to model habit. Um, and, and to tell us interesting things we might not have been able to, to learn otherwise about the nature of habit. So are, I think that's really promising. Are, are there other areas that, as you have now done this work, that you are, are interested to find out to see how machine learning kind of parses other data sets in other areas as well? Oh, my goodness. I mean, so many. There's so many opportunities, uh, you know, Obviously, one of the big hot areas is medical decision making, and I think yeah. that's that's so important. Uh, I do a lot of research on medical decision making and the opportunity to combine human intelligence with machine intelligence to better model decisions and improve them um, is so exciting because uh, so many lives can be saved. So that's where that's where I feel most eager. But I, I think there's enormous creative potential here, and we're just starting to scratch the surface. Katie, always great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. You got it. Katie Milkman, Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions at the Wharton School and author of the recently released book, How to Change. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.